Hello and welcome to a new episode of Canada mit C, or in English, Canada with a C, a podcast produced by the Konrad Adenauer Stiftung Canada. My name is Annika Wekines and I'm the host of this podcast and project manager of the Konrad Adenauer Stiftung Canada. In today's episode, we will have a closer look at the Canadian lobbying system. We are particularly happy to welcome Bruce Bergen as today's expert to tell us more about the Canadian system. Mr. Bergen was a legal counsel in the Office of the Commissioner of Lobbying from 2008 to December 2020. Today's interview will be conducted by Dr. Norbert Eschborn, Director of the Konrad Adenauer Stiftung Canada. Norbert, over to you now. Thank you, Mr. Bergen, for joining us today on this interview on Canada and lobbyism. Shady, this is how the average citizen imagines lobbying in everyday political life. I spoke with Canadian lobbyists before this interview, and they told me about lavish parties in expensive clubs with unlimited champagne and oysters at the beginning of their careers. Has Canada been an Eldorado for influencing political decision-making? What developments and events exactly led to today's legislation on lobbyism in Canada? Thank you for the question, Dr. Ashbourne. So pleasure, let, first let me say it's a pleasure to be here on uh, Canada Mitse uh, with the Conrad Adenauer uh, Stiftung. Um, well, from my perspective, I wouldn't say that Canada has been an Eldorado for influencing political decision makers in the past. Um, I've heard uh, some of the same stories that you've, uh, you've mentioned, but I would say that that's been a long time ago. What one can say is that in Canada, prior to uh, Parliament enacting the first Lobbyist Registration Act in the 1980s, there was no requirement for the public disclosure of lobbying activities. So the result of this was that there were a number of efforts by individual parliamentarians to introduce lobbyist registration laws. And this in, in turn led to the first law being enacted in 1989. So in fact, in Canada, we've had lobbying laws uh, for quite a long time. Since that time, the law has been amended on a number of occasions in order to clarify the registration requirements, strengthen enforcement mechanisms, and introduce authority for the lobbyist code of conduct in 1997. So all of these, I would say, have been improvements upon the, uh, upon the act. And in the latest amendments in 2006, the position of the Commissioner of Lobbying was created. What are the key principles of the Lobbying Act and to whom does it apply? Well, the key principles of the Lobbying Act have been contained in the, in the legislation since its enactment. And they are contained in the preamble to the Act, which sets out the purpose or the reasons for the legislation. And they are free and open access to government is an important matter of public interest. Lobbying public office holders is a legitimate activity. Public office holders and the public should be able to know who is engaged in lobbying activities. And the system for the registration of paid lobbyists should not impede free and open access to government. So those four principles have been contained in, in the legislation and they continue to this day. And I think that the Act, the Lobbying Act, um, reflects these principles by creating an easy-to-access registry for the lobbyists. So it's easy to access for the lobbyists and easy to access for the Canadian public. 
and it's online. Um, and in fact, for lobbyists, it's free. So there's no disincentive for lobbyists because it's too expensive. Um, and so to whom does it apply? Well, today the Lobbying Act applies to all uh, persons who communicate with the government for payment, and that's important, it's for, for payment, um, in relation to uh, the list of matters that are set out in the Act. And, and in, in some, that's about laws and influencing laws and regulations, uh, programs and policies, uh, in certain cases about contracts and about government funding. What is the role of the Office of Commissioner of Lobbying and what registration information must be filed with the Commissioner? Well, the Commissioner of Lobbying is responsible for administering the Act. The Commissioner, um, as I mentioned earlier, the the changes to the legislation in 2006 created the Office of the Commissioner of Lobbying and moved that office out of another government department and created an independent office. And so the Commissioner reports to the House of Commons and to the Senate of Canada, directly to Parliament. Um, the Commissioner has three parts to, to her mandate, uh, to establish and maintain the registry of lobbyists, to develop and implement educational programs, and to ensure compliance with the Lobbying Act and the Lobbyist Code of, uh, Code of Conduct. So the Lobbying Act sets out the registration and reporting requirements for each type of lobbyists. In Canada, the um, what, we, what is called or named Consultant lobbyists are what we would say are the professional lobbyists who represent their clients in communications with the government. But the Canadian legislation also captures in-house lobbyists. That is people who work within corporations or not-for-profit corporations in their communications with the government. The Lobbying Act requires the registration of corporate and organizational lobbyists only when they reach a certain threshold of activity. But so there's a dis distinction um, in the Canadian legislation. What are some of the enforcement mechanisms and what penalties for failing to register or breaching the Lobby Act are there? Well, I think that the, the first aspect of, of enforcement um, or compliance with the legislation is education. So in that respect, it's important that the Commissioner of Lobbying has an education mandate that is set out in the Act. And uh, the Commissioner runs programs um, and there is a wealth of information on the uh, website of the Office of the Commissioner of Lobbying. However, the Act also uh, contains strong disincentives um, for breaching the, the act and, and thus an incentive to register. And that is that there are, are penalties established under the legislation for breaches of the act and that the penalties have been uh, uh, made more, uh, made higher uh, in 2006 so that the maximum um, Uh, fine is $200,000. And in fact, the act also provides for um, imprisonment. Um, to date, there have been, actually been four convictions under the Lobbying Act. And uh, 
One conviction resulted in a total of $50,000 in fines for three offenses. However, I think the focus is, is upon um, the com compliance by the commissioner. So the commissioner is given the authority to ask public office holders, that is the people in the government, parliamentarians who are lobbied to um, indicate whether they, they, the information filed by lobbyists is correct or not to conduct uh, investigations into allegations that there has been a breach of the act or a breach of the lobbyist code of conduct. And when the commissioner believes that um, an offense under the act, that is a breach of the act has occurred, there's a requirement that the commissioner uh, refer the matter to the police. So then, then there is a police investigation. And then finally, I think if, if somebody is actually convicted under the act of an offense, the commissioner uh, has the authority to prohibit them from lobbying following that conviction. You mentioned already the lobbyist code of conduct. What is it about? Well, the lobbyist code of conduct, in, in, interesting in that it is uh, the authority to create the code was... Um, inserted into the act in 1997, but it is not the government that makes the lobbyist code of conduct. It is the commissioner that creates the code and uh, the commissioner must do so in consultation with, with lobbyists. So it's really a code for lobbyists. Um, it sets out the principles and the rules of ethical behavior for lobbyists. Um, it was amended in 2015 following a consultation process And in fact, there's a, a uh, uh, the commissioner, the current commissioner has launched a uh, consultation project at the end of 2020, uh, which is still ongoing. There are four principles for lobbyists in the code, uh, respect for democratic institutions, integrity and honesty, openness and professionalism. And then the, the code has the principles. And then there are 10 rules for the conduct of uh, lobbyists. Um, and they are they focus upon lobbyists being open and transparent in how they uh, identify themselves, their clients, and what they are lobbying about. Um, they have a requirement to provide accurate information and to use information that they receive, for example, from parliamentarians in an appropriate manner. And then there are rules regarding conflict of interest as well. And the commissioner has... Finally, I would say that the commissioner has the authority to initiate investigations under the code and then report on uh, what she finds. And the commissioner has done so, uh, I think, 15 or 16 times to date. We noticed that there is a multitude of anti-lobbying regulations on the federal level, the provincial level, and the municipal level. Why is that? Well, I First thing I would say, Dr. Ashbourne, is that I would say it's not anti-lobbying legislation so much as it is lobbying regulation legislation. And uh, um, I think that really the federal government was the first level of government in Canada to introduce the legislation. But following that, um, the provinces have one by one uh, joined and, and enacted their own uh, legislation. And I think it's because they also saw that there was a need for transparency in, in um, lobbying communications and um, that it would be useful to have this for 
for public information and, uh, uh, and for openness in government. So that now every um, province in Canada has its own lobbying uh, legislation. And in fact, the, the Yukon Territory um, also uh, last year um, passed its own law. In addition, uh, many of the municipalities in Canada are either captured under the provincial legislation. This is the case in Quebec and in uh, Newfoundland and Labrador. Um, and in Ontario, for example, where we're now sitting, uh, the Municipal Act of the province, which provides the authority from the provincial government for municipalities to um, uh, pass laws and, and govern their internal affairs, was amended in order to provide municipalities in Ontario with the authority to pass lobbying laws. So the city of Toronto has had a, a lobbying legislation for uh, a number of years. Uh, the city of Ottawa recently joined and as well, a number of other communities in Ontario have done so. I think it's a trend. Can you tell us something about the lobby industry in Canada in general? How powerful is it really? Well, I, I would say that it's been it's well established in, in Canada. Um, there are actually two national organizations that represent lobbyists, the Public Affairs Association of Canada, which was established in 1984, and the Government Relations Institute of Canada, which was established in 1994. Each of them represent people and companies that engage in public affairs and government relations work. Lobbying is about communicating your ideas or your clients' ideas to government. And it's a form of advocacy. Um, and I think that one of the trends in Canada over the last couple of decades has been the professionalism of lobbying. Um, the regulation of the profession encourages the profession to do better, to be more transparent and better at communicating. And so I think that that in turn creates an improved environment for an exchange of ideas and a better internal policy debate in government. So I think the result is that the industry is, is, is powerful, but not in the way that is, not in a bad way, not in uh, the way that it can be seen to be twisting arms, but rather that it is well-organized and does a, a good service for its clients. Based on your own opinion, what would you say are strengths and weaknesses of the Lobbying Act and the Lobbyist Registry? Yeah, I, I think that the one of the uh, the main strengths of the Lobbying Act and, and the Registry is that it, it the Lobbying Act captures a broad range of lobbying activity. And it's, it's aimed at um, all professional uh, lobbyists who work on behalf of their clients, but also in-house organizations that are, are for all the way from large corporations, large multinational corporations to smaller uh, not-for-profit corporations. And so it, it captures a wide range of lobbying activity. I think the real strength of the registry is that it's, it's easy to, to access online. Um, it's been improved over the years uh, to make it more user-friendly and and that it's free for lobbyists. So I think that that encourages more transparency. Um, I think that all, in addition, there are strong incentives to comply with the law. 
the commissioner's authority to investigate and uh, penalties in the form of fines um, and the, the fact that the commissioner will report publicly upon uh, breaches of the lobbyist code of conduct are all a strong incentive for lobbyists for, uh, to, to register and to be in compliance with the act. I think there are the weaknesses have been identified um, by uh, the commissioner, uh, the previous commissioner and, and the current commissioner in reports uh, to Parliament. In fact, on the, the website of the uh, Office of the Commissioner of Lobbying, there was a, a, a report that was tabled with uh, the parliamentary committee responsible for the area um, in earlier this year in which the, the commissioner makes a, a number of recommendations. And they're largely about ensuring that the registration process um, works better, uh, is, is more, that the, the playing field between the different types of lobbyists is, is level and uh, that, that time limits are, are make sense, uh, those sorts of things. So I think that it's, it's uh, more about using the experience that's been gained to date to improve the act. Let us switch to my country, Germany, now for a moment. Uh, we have a coalition government formed from Christian Democrats and Social Democrats, which uh, has just passed new uh, lobbying legislation. And the new German lobbying legislation, under pressure from the Social Democrat uh, governing partner, explicitly exempts trade unions from the obligation to be listed in the lobby register. Do you agree that unions should not be seen as lobbying organizations? And is it appropriate to make a difference between good and bad advocacy organizations? Mm -hmm. Well, I, obviously, I come from have a different perspective from coming from Canada. And I, I would say that I don't agree with that position. I think that one of the strengths of the Canadian law is that it requires both for-profit and not-for-profit corporations to register as lobbyists when they meet the registration requirements. So from, from my, in my view, that creates um, a situation where we don't make a distinction between good lobbyists or bad lobbyists, but rather uh, there may be good ideas and bad ideas, but the, the idea is that those who are, are communicating with government should register uh, regardless of who they work for or, or who they represent. So in fact, under the, the Lobbying Act, uh, trade unions would be required to register if they meet the registration requirements um, as uh, organizations under the Act. The Canadian lobbyists I spoke to and mentioned at the beginning of this interview said that the Lobbying Act was not really an obstacle to their work, even if the raucous parties don't happen now anymore. <laughs> Will there ever be suitable instruments to prevent undue influence on political decisions once and for all? Well, uh, from my perspective, I, the, the lobbyists that I've, I've spoken with, um, they, I agree with you that they regard it as, it's an element of regulation. It is... Uh, um, a regulation of their profession and in order to create transparency and openness for the Canadian uh, public about who is communicating with government. So I think that the policy objective is, is, is quite clear. Um, uh, I think that uh, the act um, as it exists is, is 
does quite a good job in in enhancing the the uh, objectives for the legislation that are set out in in the act um and that there are uh, a number of areas have been identified where there could be improvements uh and and the commissioner's report has has tabled those or tabled uh, uh a number of recommendations and and groups them under the uh, the headings of transparency clarity fairness and efficiency um I, i'm not sure if if any amendment to the law or any perfect law would ever uh, totally eliminate um, undue influence. Thank you, Mr. Bergen. Well, thank you, Dr. Ashbourne. It's been a pleasure. Thank you also, dear listeners, for clicking on our podcast. We hope that you have learned many interesting things about the Canadian lobbying system. And we look forward to welcoming you back in the next episode of Canada mit C. If you cannot wait and want to learn more about Canada, you can find great articles and other publications on our social media channels and on our homepage at www.ks.de slash Canada. Here you can also subscribe to our free newsletter. Thank you and see you next time.